Let's stand to honor the reading of God's holy word, Mark chapter 16. We'll read seven verses together. Mark writes, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they could go and anoint him. That would be Jesus. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right, and they were amazed and alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there just as he told you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that today, in the same way that you opened this tomb, that you will open our hearts. I pray that you will take the sword of the Holy Spirit and lance the calloused heart that's here. I pray that you will take the fire and the flame of the Holy Spirit and melt the cold heart here. And I pray that you'll take the anvil, the hammer of your spirit and break up the hard heart. I pray that you open our heart and that you'll open your word and pour your word into our heart. Thank you for this day and for how it has bought our redemption. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've lived here for seven and a half years, and if I know anything about this culture and this group of people, we love to travel. We love to take a trip. Now, if you're not going to say amen there, you're not going to say amen anywhere. Do you love to travel? Love to take a trip? And you know what I've discovered? As, I have, as Deborah and I have moved around now over almost 40 years in the ministry, I've discovered that people have to go somewhere different than where they live. For instance... 13 years on the coast, seven and a half years here. People on the coast generally don't take their vacations and their trips and go to the beach. People up here don't generally take their vacation and go to the mountains. Those folks go to the mountains. These guys go to the beach. So we always go someplace where we want to enjoy. And every now and then we take a trip that has a purpose to it. James and Barbara just got back from the Holy Land. And they'll be sharing with us sometime in the month of, uh, of April their tr- about their trip to the Holy Land, a trip with a purpose. This morning, I'd like to take us on a trip. I'd like us to take the trip that the ladies took to the tomb. If we're going to take that trip and we're going to get anything out of it, let's have a little perspective. It was just three days earlier on crucifixion day that Jesus, the Nazarene, Jesus, 
the Son of God, Jesus the Lamb of Glory, Jesus the one we celebrate, it was just three days later that Jesus was mercilessly and barbarously put to death. There was a man named Joseph from the city of Arimathea. He was a very rich man. And he asked for and was given permission to bury Jesus in this tomb that nobody had ever lain in before. It was a tomb, obviously, that was quite ornate because Joseph was a rich man. We also know from Scripture that Nicodemus, the one that came to Jesus and asked about being saved, and Jesus said, except you be born again, Nicodemus of chapter 3, we know that he had a part in the burial. We know that as they took Jesus from the cross, we know they took him, rushed him to the tomb. The ladies followed him so they would know where he was buried. And we know that in their rush to put Jesus in the tomb, that they were not able to finish all the mortuary traditions of the day. He was not prepared properly. And so they put him in the ground, and they watched those four or five men roll that stone probably down a slight uh, in a decline down into the little notch to cover the tomb. This was on crucifixion day. Can you imagine how those women did not sleep well for the next three days as they knew the one that they loved, the one they'd listened to, the one they'd longed for? He was not buried properly. There's another interesting thing about that period of time. There's not much written about the time between crucifixion day and resurrection day. We do know that the Roman leaders and the Roman guards decided they wanted to seal the tomb. We do know that. For me, I've often wondered if they were trying to seal it to keep someone from getting in or if they thought they were going to seal it to keep somebody from getting out. Jesus laid there for three days. That Passover time was a high and holy time. Nothing's written about it. And let me just tell you why it's so important that you understand. Nothing's written there is that this was the time when the Jewish people remembered Egypt when they remembered the captivity, when they remembered Moses, when they remembered the stories of the blood being put over the doorpost and that the death angel passed over the babies where there was blood covering the family and, he, and the death angel killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. This was a big celebration. It was a party. There's a party going on and nothing's written about it. You ever wonder why? Let me just offer this to you. I understand that some of you have, have your home churches and you came here today to be with parents and friends and family. Some of you, if you're honest, you've not been in the Lord's house in a year. But listen, here's why nothing's written about it. Because there is no span of time. There is no event. There is no celebration. There is no holiday. And there is no life that's even worth saying anything about if Jesus is not present. Jesus was in the ground. And when Jesus was in the ground for his friends, all things seemed lost. And then Resurrection Day came. Resurrection Day came. 
I was watching the Bible, uh, part of the Bible series on TV last night. And may I say this to you? If you haven't seen it, watch tonight the conclusion. You don't want to miss it. I was watching and I was struck by Lazarus who was dead and all of a sudden he was alive. And I'm thinking, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. That's what we celebrate today. So I want us to take a, a walk past the tomb. I want us to go with the ladies as they got to, got to Sunday morning. It says they were, don't you like how it said? It said very early in the morning, the ladies went to, to, to the tomb at sunrise. Now, is that anybody but me think that's a little uh, uh, double whammy there? I mean, my feeling is if God wanted us to see the sunrise, he would have scheduled it later in the day. They went very early in the morning. They were determined to honor Jesus. They had everything in their hand to honor his sacrifice. They had everything in their hand to honor his, what he had given to them. And now three days after the death, after his death, they were headed down to do Jesus right. As we walk along with the ladies, Hear what I'm going to call a pertinent question. And the question is found here in the text in verse 3. And the question that they asked was, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Now, for me, that question... That question almost begs a little investigation. Think, think about the context. It is, it is dawn. The ladies are coming. Nobody else is really moving around yet. The ladies are coming to the tomb. They got everything because in their hands to honor Jesus. They want to see Jesus. And oh, by the way, who's going to roll the stone? You do understand the impossibility of their situation. I mean, all that stood between them and Jesus, get this, they have their spices, they have their anointing oil, they have, they're ready to do this, had a, had a couple of days of rest, they're ready to do this, they think they can get it by it mostly, and they head to the tomb, but what's in the way? A one to two ton stone. You know, this, this might be the classic example of a waste of human resources, a waste of effort, a waste of energy. It would probably take four to six men plus some implements to move that stone, and three or four ladies are coming wondering who's going to, who's going to do it for them. I confess to you, when I read this story, I, 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 my mind goes, what were these ladies thinking? Were they thinking they were going to pick up a couple of men that morning who would go and, and take care of such a monumental task? Why did they do it like this? Why didn't they make complete plans? Personally, I believe they were so emotionally in love with Jesus and all that he had done in their lives that they thought nothing like a little old stone was going to stand in the way. I mean, don't charge the stage women, but when you set your mind to do something, you generally find a way to do it. Could I get an amen, men? I thought so. I want to put on, I want to put ourselves in the shoes of these women. They're up at daylight. They got everything in their hand. They're headed. And here is a stone. When we take our journey to the tomb, you take your journey. You take your journey. You take your journey. You have in your hands everything you need to honor the Lord. When you get there, there's an obstruction. When you get there, there's an obstruction. What is it? For some, 
It's our pride. For some, it's we can do it on our own. We don't need anybody else. We're doing just fine. We're living our life. We're having a good time. Oh, do I want to see him? Oh, yeah, I'd like to see him, but it's not a big deal because I got this under control. I dare say there are people in this room who feel like you've got your life under control. That may be the greatest form of self-deception that we know. For others, it's not may not be pride, but it can be idols. It can be those things that we've embraced in this culture that are our gods. You know, some of the things that can become a god in your life. Your hobbies can become a god. Your family can become a god. And may I just give you a warning here? Please don't make your family your god. Don't put your family a in front of God. You know why? Because the same God that gave you that family is the God that can take that family. You see, we have all kind of idols. It can be our schedules. It can be our jobs. It can be our commitment. It can be our money. And they have become our gods. An an idol is any good thing, maybe you've been given by God, it's any good thing which you have made an ultimate thing, and so ultimately it becomes a bad thing. And you say, well, I can't do that. Well, the human heart, as John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. I ask you, what stone, what is your stone today? What is it that keeps you from seeing Jesus, from meeting Jesus, from honoring Jesus? What is in the way, your way? I'm going to pare all the excuses and all the things down to one word. And nobody likes to hear the word teenagers. Not just teenagers. Nobody likes to hear this word. There is one word that is the object. It's the obstacle that keeps us from getting to Jesus. And it is the word sin. Now, the truth is, people don't like preachers to preach on sin. More than that, people don't like for preachers to identify sin. You know, like the Bible does. Gossiping, adultery, homosexuality. Other immorality, lying, stealing. We don't, because you see, we want to re- redefine sin. We want to say what sin is. You know, what sin for you is not sin for me. The only problem with that is we don't get to define sin because Jehovah God has already defined what sin is. And sin will not find a place in the presence of holy God. Sin keeps us separated. Sin is just like that stone that the lady said, who's going to move it? Please listen. Sovereign God makes the rules, not the Supreme Court. Creator God makes the rules, not the congressional gurus. And the rule that he said is that here is my son. The world saw him. We killed him, and now we come to the tomb asking, who's going to move the stone? Well, you could, you could guess, you can guess that God leaves very few questions unanswered. So the ladies go along, 
ask you this question, and then we see a powerful, a powerful answer. Now, let me just say this. I love, I, I, I love the book of Mark. Tradition tells us that John Mark, who, was, who abandoned Paul's missionary trip, who Barnabas stood up for and who Paul later restored, John Mark sat down with Peter, and Peter began to tell him all about the life of Jesus. This is what tradition tells us. And Peter and, and John Mark was writing, and it, that's why that's why we go from action to action to action. If you've not read, read Mark, you need to because it is an action book. It moves from one thing to the other very quickly, just like the personality of Peter. But I like how, how John Mark and Peter put together this Response and shows the powerful answer. Look in verse 4. It says, Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. The question had been, who's going to move the stone? The question is now answered. When I read this, let me give you the watch paraphrase of this, of this verse 4. When they got close enough to this very large stone to see it, they were amazed that it had already been rolled away, so they had access to Jesus. Did you get that? Access to Jesus. This is the very reason Jesus suffered. He bled. He died. He was in the grave. It's why He was resurrected to give us access to the glorified Jesus. Easter is not about the Easter bunny. It is about Jesus. And my personal conviction is what I've already said. That stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. That stone was rolled away so that we could go in. You see, you see, the truth is, we go in, we meet the living Lord Jesus. We meet the glorified Christ. We meet the one who died for our sins. We meet the, the, the living Lord who made us right before God when we come to Him. The stone was rolled. The blockage was removed. The door was open, and now we have access to Jesus. Ladies didn't have to worry about moving the stone. It was gone. But did you know? And when I ask you this... Don't say it out loud because you'll embarrass yourself. Who moved the stone? Oh, God moved the stone. Oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. God had the stone moved. How do you know that, Brother Jerry? Well, I didn't think you'd ever ask. Because in Matthew 28, watch this. Matthew 28, look at what's said. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the stone. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. I don't know if you like that. I think you might like that God just said move and it happened. But I kind of like this for the parallels, but I, I... People who know me know my mind don't work right, so I'm just going to tell you. The Romans had already sealed the tomb. They had, they had made sure it was secure. They had put the Roman seal on it, so if you broke that seal, you would die under penalty of death. And not only that, they put these soldiers around there to guard it. Isn't that good? And so here's what God did. God said, hey, go down there and show them who's boss. 
And the angel goes down in full view of the soldiers, and he rolls the stone back. And in Mike, he sits on the stone and sees what they're going to do. That's a powerful God. That is a God that has everything under control. Now, I want you to hear this. Don't, I'm not just having fun, although it is fun to talk about the resurrection, but I don't, you, don't want you to miss how the angel coming to roll the stone applies to you and me today. Here's the truth. The stone of our sin blocks us from holy God. Blocks every person here from holy God. Now, please listen. You don't have to take it from me. You can take it from his book, your good name, your good works, your good intentions, your good life, whatever else you may think is good, is not enough to move the stone. It is not enough to move the stone of sin that separates you from God. Nothing you can do will move that stone. Nothing you can do will give you direct access to God. God sent the angel to move the stone from Jesus' grave, and God sent Jesus to move the stone of sin from your life so that you can have direct access to the Father. Apart from Jesus' work on the cross and in the grave, we have no hope. Jesus said it. I, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. There is only one way to God. I don't, mean, I don't mean to be offensive to those of you who are fans, but we saw a video here where Oprah said there's got to be more than one way. Well, she's wrong. This book is right. There is only one way. Without Jesus, you will die in your sins and you will go to a place that the Bible terms as hell. With Jesus, you will die from your sins and you will die in Him and you will find your place in eternity in that place called heaven. The question today for me is not who will or who can move the stone. Here's a question for you, a very practical question. Who has moved the stone in your life? As you come by the tomb, as you take that trip by the tomb, as you see the door open, who moved that stone for you? Who made a way for you? It's our Lord Himself. He he removes every obstacle. As we stand at the tomb and take our trip by that open tomb, the place of death has become a place of life. The place of sorrow has become a place of joy, a place of hurt has become a place of help and of eternal, peaceful bliss. Which brings us to the thing that I want to end with. As we take our trip by the tomb, as we've asked that per- pertinent question, who will move the stone? As we've heard the, that powerful answer that God sent someone to move the stone. 
last thing to see for you and me is that permanent solution. Permanent solution. When we envision the grave, we are to be reminded that our Lord has once and for all overcome the grave, death, and hell. You know, the greatest fear known to man today is that thing of dying. And the reason we're so afraid of dying, dying is because we, we love living and we love living so much that we have made, uh, we have tried to define what living is and we have made placating our little desires the, the end all and be all of our lives. And we're missing what God has in store. As I, as I begin to, close, I want to say two words. First, I want to speak to the students. Students, can I have your eyes just for a second, please? Here's what I want to say to you as someone a little further down the road than you. You only have one shot at this life. One time. It would be be nice if they gave you mulligans or do-overs. You have one shot. When you do it, it's done. When you said it, it's said. Oh, yeah, you can apologize for it. Yes, you can gain forgiveness for it. But know that you got one shot. To you guys and to everybody else, here's what I'm going to tell you. The second thing, not only, not only do you get one shot, the second thing is life is short. James says life is but a vapor. Seems like yesterday, Jonathan was learning to walk and run. And today, he's got a son who runs. It seems like yesterday, Christy was a seven-year-old little girl giving her mother fits. Today, she's got a seven-year-old little girl giving her mother fits. Years ago, young people, you won't remember it. Young adults, you won't remember it. But Malvina Reynolds and Harry Belafonte and later Alan Green added some to it. Recorded this song. Where are you going, my little one? My little one. Where are you going, my baby, my own? Turn around and you're two. Turn around and you're four. Turn around and you're a young wife with babes of your own. You see, folks, we spend so much time protecting this life on earth because we think it's a permanent deal. But it is over before you know it. And as you pass by the empty tomb, you better understand that what Jesus offers, what Jesus offers is a permanent fix. When you pass by that tomb, you need to understand that unless God calls this world to a close, one day your body's going to be the same place Jesus' body even though your body will be in the ground you don't get permanent rest in the ground the only place you'll find permanent rest as well as eternal life is in Jesus Paul wrote if in this life only we have hope in Christ We are of all men most miserable. As we have traveled to the tomb, 
as we've asked the pertinent questions, as we've heard the powerful answer, and as we have, hopefully we have embraced God's permanent solution. The good news is that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again for you. The bad news is you don't get there by osmosis. You have to make a personal choice. For some in this room, God's already started working your heart, and you're going, what's going on? I, this, no message has ever touched me like this before. I know something's wrong. And you, if you be honest, if you died right now, you really, A, no, you wouldn't go to heaven based on his word. Realizing you can't do it on your own, realizing you have to have him, him in your life, you know you wouldn't go to heaven. Or number two, you're, you're unsure. Well, here's the deal. If you never decide for Christ, if you never invite Christ in your life, if you never make that decision for him, you have already made a decision against him. Resurrection is about new life. The trip to the tomb should show us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but Jesus rose that we don't have to die. Pastors like me take it on the chin for long sermons. Over the last 20 years, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a dozen times. You know, preacher... You missed several places where you could have ended that thing really good. Have you ever wondered why preachers are like this? May I just give you an explanation? Every time I stand behind this pulpit and I realize the responsibility of God's Word on my shoulder, I am aware that in front of me sit people some of who, if there was a catastrophic event, either the rapture, a nuclear attack, or some other catastrophic event that every one of us left this world, I am aware that some people in this room would go to heaven. But I am equally aware that some are fooling ourselves. And as I stand and try to complete God's word for the day, my heart, it's always the same thing. God, don't let me say one word too many or one word too few. And don't let me leave someone wondering. Years ago, Lenny Wolf wrote this song, one of my favorites. And the chorus says, only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one chance to do his will. So give to Jesus all your days. It's the only life that pays. When you recall, you have but one life. Jesus gave his all so that we don't have to give our all in death, that we can give our all to him. Who will move the stone? God has moved the stone. Access is granted. Jesus has done all he is prepared to do. Now, what will you do with what Jesus has done? Let's pray.